from John chapter 1. And uh, we don't usually rate passages of Scripture, but if we were to do so, this one would be near the top of the list as one of our one of our texts that is foundational to our faith. And uh, we often say, Todd often says when he's preaching here, that God is for us and that God chose not to be God without us. And this passage certainly references those truths. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about that light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is indeed the word of the Lord. Chris and the company of everyone here, thank you for your kind words. We are going to miss your family terribly, all three of you. Uh, and we'll be praying for you tomorrow as you head back. And heading from winter here to summer there, correct? So we'll feel, you know, we'll be sorry for you, but not feel totally sorry for you. Um, I understand with your travels in the last few weeks and couple of months, you've had a chance to see even more winter um, than, than we've had here. So... Uh, but uh, here in Vancouver, and there's something isn't quite right over the past few weeks. Five weeks? Six weeks? How long has it been? Uh, and you walk on that snow now, and it's just hardened, and it's been there forever. And some of you are about to experience what it's like in Ontario in March. It's really not pretty, uh, because it's going to start raining apparently tomorrow. And some of us are saying, thanks be to God, wash away some of this snow. But it doesn't quite feel right. feels like, you know, we get to live for a few weeks in Saskatchewan. Not that cold, but still. Something's off. And I want to start with that sense. And maybe if you can use something like the snow, like living in this place over the last few weeks and how different it feels than many other years, 
Most of you can remember years like this, but it still feels different than what we're used to. Whatever it takes for you to, to hold a concept in your mind, in your thoughts, feelings, I want us to use this concept of feeling displaced as we enter this new year and this new sermon series. So when I have the word displaced, what I have in my mind is that sense in faith, in life, you could, you could echo this whether you're a Christian or not, that sometimes you just feel like something's off. So I've got the word placed is what's important to me. I'm going to say that the gospel places us in this world. So we do feel um, a sense of belonging. But I've added the three letters D-I-S in front in brackets, that there's a lot of displacement in our lives right now. And I want to say through the series that we're about to start, and I, I use this with the term holy discontent, because I love being a minister at Sutherland Church. It's been a blessing for me and continues to be for me and my family and, and so many wonderful things. But as we begin this series, I thought it helps to be honest with kind of what's in my mind, and that is that I would like us to be in a different place. I don't mean like a different location. It doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. But a different place in a couple of years than we are now. And that relates to how we are to understand the gospel in our own personal growth and how we are to bear witness to the gospel in this world. I don't think we're the only church that needs to undergo change. I think the Christian church as a whole is in a time of change. In some ways, you could say we always are. But, there, but we, we're facing a lot of things culturally. I don't think there's anything to fear or shrink back from. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But as I talk about displacement, I mean it for us individually. So you can come here, and if all you do is say, yeah, I'm feeling kind of off in life, and something from what I say or the music or prayers helps you, then we're pleased for that. So there's personal, individual displacement, but there's displacement culturally and maybe even as a church. So that in each of our lives and in our life together, we want to look for some kind of change, for growth. So this is what I've called the sermon series, which it's such a big title that it opens up anything, but it is faith and purpose. Something big enough to live for and to feel, and that we would feel, rather than feeling displaced in our lives, we would feel placed. That we have a sense of belonging and purpose, that we're in the right place at the right time for what God has for us. The Christian understanding of this uses words like call. Did you know, and not a lot of people tell you this, because the primary way that you're treated in our world now, including from churches, is as a consumer. So if, if I want more people to come to this church, and this is a game that happens uh, right when, when new people come or whatever, it's, it's what we're used to every, with everything. So what do we have for you, right? Well, here, let me tell you about the following programs we've got. And it, it's, it's akin to going to London Drugs or to a shopping mall and determining whether this is, you know, good enough for you. Now, that doesn't mean that churches that fit that kind of model can't do what I'm talking about, but it is rare for people to remind you in the spiritual realm that you have a call on your life. And if you want to deal with feelings of displacement, you can't just use the consumer model of thinking. You have to consider, why am I here? What's the call on my life? And that's how we'll talk about being placed. These are Christian words in Christian spirituality, call and vocation and spiritual gifts. And I hope that you come here for most of this series, or all of it, and I hope that by the end you have a better understanding of what spiritual gifts are 
and how they operate in your life. Manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So faith and purpose. And each week, here's what I'm going to do to some extent. Each week, we're going to tell each other, and I hope to tell you about Jesus Christ. Sounds pretty good for a church. Each week, you're going to hear about Jesus Christ, and you will be invited to respond. And if you bring people here with you, they will hear that invitation. But of course, we're not going to issue the invitation in any mean-spirited way or fearful way or controlling way. And sometimes it works better to do that, by the way, in the short term, to scare people to respond to Jesus. But I, it's not me. And if you want that, you've got to get somebody else. Uh, instead, we're going to say this gospel is true for this world right now in this place. Not just these walls, but out there, this gospel is true. And we're going to tell you about Jesus and invite you to respond. But that response is not only for people who have never responded to Jesus Christ. In some ways, it's first for you. You who come here each week or most weeks, how are you responding to Jesus Christ? Did you come to church this week and did you respond to the presence of Jesus Christ in a way that will encourage you to grow? And each week, the sermon will consist of a biblical text. There's two passages we're going to use this morning. James read one of them. So a biblical, test, a biblical text, and that will be the content, the foundation of the sermon to tell you, and this is obviously a faith statement. Some people wouldn't agree with it. Maybe most people in the world. My understanding of the biblical text is to tell you and myself, this is the way things are. If I want to understand the truth of the, of the world, I go to Scripture and seek the gospel of Jesus Christ. My interpretive key is Jesus. I don't take, uh, say, an Old Testament passage and say that has, you know, if I'm trying to understand that, I interpret that through Jesus Christ. And if something counters the character, mission, life, and call of Jesus Christ, then I will seek to kind of say, okay, I don't quite understand that yet. In other words, I'm not going to turn religion into something that is a weapon against people because that's not of Jesus. You have to ignore Jesus to, to kind of do that. So the biblical text is the content, the way things are, but also each week we'll have a cultural consideration. Now, I'm aware, I've been at this long enough to know, that as soon as somebody like me says a word like cultural, you go, I just don't think I understand. I mean, some of you are so quick to, 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 to use the safety of not understanding so you don't have to challenge yourself. When I say cultural, I simply mean the way things are in this world. You know, the way things are in the world in which we live. It's mostly secular. It's mostly consumer-based. That's what I mean by cultural. We will look at cultural considerations for this purpose. Because if we don't look at culture, you will not understand how the gospel is true outside these walls. You'll understand it only within these walls, hoping that other people somehow, I don't really know how, come to believe what we believe. But if the gospel is only true in this room, then it's not the gospel. We must consider culture. You have to. By the way, those of you who are raising kids as they move into their you know, preteen years and teen years and beyond, if you don't consider things culturally, it'll be very, very difficult to speak to them about faith unless you just keep them kind of cloistered, held. Always in Christian circles. But let me tell you now, and I don't mean to scare you with it, they will break those, and I hope they do. I hope they move outside of those circles, and at that point, they will need to see a faith that works in this world. So a cultural reflection to help you see the truth of the gospel. 
Each week, and I think you were, they were handed out this week, they won't necessarily always be handed out. We're going to maybe redesign the foyer. That might be part of what we're hoping to do in the coming weeks and months, probably months. Um, and part of that would be that each week there might be, there, I, my vision is to have a little table out there where you can consider some of the things if you want to dig deeper into the sermon material. Or So this sheet that I've called the so what sheet, so what question mark, I don't think on your sheet it has the question mark, it should. But in my mind, basically, you come here, you hear me, we sing these songs, and I have in my mind, and I hope you do too, so what? What difference does this make? Now, my hope is to to differentiate that from a consumer model. In other words, the first question isn't, did I like church and did it give me everything I wanted? It's, so what? Does this make a difference in my life and in this world? I think this, and I know this is a terribly arrogant thing to say, or I'm afraid that it's arrogant. So I always tell myself, if I'm afraid that it's arrogant, then it's not arrogant. So I'm good. But I hope and I think that I can help you grow spiritually. In fact, I think it's a bit of a call on my life. But the thing with, with that, with if I can help you grow spiritually, in fact... It's bigger than that. We can help one another grow spiritually. This is always together. And if you look at the minister or anybody in a role of Christian leadership as the one who can help you grow spiritually, you will always be disappointed. But we can help one another grow spiritually. This is for all of us together. To an extent, I would think, unless it's just habit, because it's very little guilt anymore, thanks be to God, but we pay a heavy price for not guilting people to go to church. The heavy price is, you know, we could get more people here if we used guilt. Maybe not now. But to some extent, I hope you come here because you think that people like myself and others can help you grow and that we can help one another to grow. So the question I have for you as we embark upon this series is are you willing to take some direction? Right? As soon as I say you should do this, this, and this, If you're like me, you go, oh, I should, should I? Right? Now, by the way, that's not always bad. If you take that sheet that I have that offers some spiritual practices and some of the things I've been looking at and reading this week, and and if you want to take that and go, well, he he only reads from the following sources, you can do that. It doesn't bother me. Uh, But if if you take that and you say, I think Todd's wrong, and I'm going to go, I would be fine with that because that's going to lead to growth too. Some of the courses that I've learned the most in is when I disagree quite regularly with the professor. Right? It's the engagement that I'm interested in more than anything else. But are you willing to take some direction? Times have changed. People like me used to be able to, conjo- to cajole you into growth, to make you feel better. And this is still around in some places, to kind of shake my finger at you or whatever. I've told you before that the new authoritarianism in many churches is what I call a friendly authoritarianism, where the minister gets up and says, friends, and shakes their head. Right? Like they're disappointed in you. It's not yelling at you anymore. It's just kind of this like, you've let me down again. And it's not what I'm going to do, but I am going to assume that you're willing to take some direction. So let's use the model of physical training for this. It's January, and you ate a little bit too much over Christmas, and so you join a gym. I just joined a gym because I can't ride my bike in this weather, Um, though if I don't preach too long and I've got a couple meetings after church, I might get a ride in today. But I joined a gym because you couldn't, I couldn't ride. Now, when you join a gym, particularly if you're not used to exercising, they offer you, like, would you like a personal assessment? And, or you get a personal trainer. 
Now, if you have a personal trainer and they give you a plan for your physical conditioning, right, and you don't do any of it, you go home and watch football and eat potato chips, which I also do, sometimes the distance between exercise and chip is remarkably small for me. It would almost be worth just having a bag of chips as I ride the bike or something at the stationary bike. But if you go and that's all you do and you don't exercise and you don't change your diet and then you look to the trainer and you say, you haven't been a very good trainer. Because look at me. <laughs> what are they going to say to you? I don't think I'm the problem. And to some degree, most churches now, it's not only ours, there is not a consistent call in many places for growth to say you need to grow. You need to do things to grow. Sometimes that's because people like me and others at times can, can be afraid that if you really do that to people, then they will just go find somewhere else. Or in places where, they're all, where there are these calls to growth, most of the time, and I know this, it's not a secret, so most of the time you don't do, or I don't do as well, I'll put myself in it, what it is that you were offered in spiritual direction. So two weeks ago we said, you should all write a New Year's prayer. And what would be astounding, and please, I'm not experiencing this as some, you know, terrible disconnection on, on my part, or, but it, what's interesting is how, how few people will have done that. But then months later, say to me, I really wish I was growing more. Or I'm facing this trouble in my life, and I just can't seem to get by it or through it. In other words, you need, like physical training, you've got to move that stump or that rock, and you didn't do the training, and you can't lift it up. So months from now, you come across some, some challenge in your life emotionally and spiritually, and you say, well, I'm just, you know, it, it's not working for me. And somebody like me would say, well, you didn't do any of the work. So I hope you did those prayers. If you haven't, it's not too late. Write out a New Year's prayer. We may have the chance to share some. But this series, Faith and Purpose, with that word, Displaced, in this series, and I understand that right now I'm, I'm giving you a lot of intro before we get to the scripture for this morning, and that's because I want to set the series in place. In this series, we will talk about the following. As we go through, I don't mean, you know, we'll have a segment for this and a segment for that. But if you're a good student at a university, you would be wise to look for these following things as the, the speaker is speaking, because these are the things that are going to run through as we go. What? We'll talk about religion. Because if the church is displaced and we are displaced in faith in this world, there is a religious element to this. Some of you can remember a time. I can't as much. I came to faith right in the shadow of it. So I knew it existed, but I was never really part of it. If you can remember a time when religion was much more a part of the social fabric of the community and life, right? And you could even remember a time at Sutherland Church, some of you, when it just seemed more simple. And there were nice little social circles and everybody knew what you were supposed to do to some degree and people read the Bible and more people knew the Bible and knew just what was expected. And along with those times, religion had more of a place in social life and outside these walls. And some of you, and I want to be really sympathetic at least to this, some of you would really like to have a time like that again. Now, if you're not one of those people, just be mindful that there are people in this church who they look longingly back at those times. 
Now, for others of us, and some of you directly, I didn't experience this directly, those times were not times of just wonderful promise. You had very, very well-meaning people in almost every case, but in some, in some circles, religion became something that was used as a club or a threat, and you knew just exactly when you were wrong. And so even in these nice systems, there was a lot of control and sometimes a lot of fear. Now, I will always have people coming to me, and I, I, I appreciate this, and saying, do you know, Todd, though, it was also really good. I couldn't agree more. But this is, this is the religious understanding as we move to this sermon series, that for some people, the current appeal of religion, and by the way, the world is getting more religious, not less. Did you know that? Because we just think of this part of our... North Vancouver is very irreligious. Well, it's a different religion. It's a religion of, you know, whatever out there. People are religious about things, but not in a traditional way. But the world in general is getting more religious, including places like the United States, though that may shift soon. But it's becoming more religious. Now, why would that be? In many of these cases, people are attracted to religion because it gives them, again, a safe place with really clear boundaries. And in an uncertain world where you feel displaced, that's attractive. Christianity and other religions can do this. At the same time, very many people, and you might know some of these people and you might have some of them in your families, very many people are rejecting religion for those exact same reasons. If that's all it is, I don't want any part of it. Now, those of you who know me know that I love my faith and I appreciate some of the aspects of the rituals of religion, but I'm probably more given to that second one. If this is just going to be something that's bounded and controlled in the creation of a subculture, I'm not interested. Even though I know that for some of you, that is a wonderful feeling. So we're in this together and we'll walk through it. For some of you, you have a fear of the world and religion, the subcultures of religion, offer you a sense of feeling at least safe or placed in some way. What I'm telling you is that the church changes over the next few years, 5, 10, 2, 5, 10, 20 years. Some of those walls will be broken down, and it will be good for you, better for you, to grow in your faith rather than count on the safety of religion. There is this displacement. The question I have, is there a better way forward? And I believe that there is. I don't think we have to create subcultures though we'll have common language and whatever. But I also don't think that we have to clearly push ourselves away as if this doesn't matter. Secondly, we'll talk about the gospel, to declare what we believe. The gospel is that Jesus Christ loves the world, all the world, and has given himself for the life of the world, and we can respond and trust in him, not in ourselves. And in this we will know God, the creator of all things. We'll talk about the gospel in this series. And the need today is as much as it has ever been. The tendency is to say, we need the gospel now more than ever. No, we don't. We need it exactly the same as ever. Just the same. As your parents and grandparents and those before needed it, we need it the same. The reminder that there is a God over all who loves us. Have you seen the commercial? It's for Air Canada, and it makes Air Canada seem fantastic, which for some it is. Follows a young woman, starts as a baby, and she grows up very quickly. It only takes 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Maybe it's a minute ad. And it has these iconic Canadian images. So it shows her playing, you know, road hockey or in her driveway. 
She's growing up as this child, and then she goes on a service trip. She's lugging a, a thing of sand or something like that. And it ends with, and then she becomes like super successful, because everybody has to become super successful. So she's influencing a lot of people and probably making a lot of money. I'm not sure. And the ad ends with, the world needs more Canada. Right? And then it just says Air Canada. Oh, okay, it's for Air Canada. Again, not to be arrogant, but from my faith, I'll say this strongly. The world needs more gospel. This is something that is not to be limited within the walls of any given church. The world needs more Christian gospel. Thirdly, we'll talk about community, how this call to witness is in large part what brings us together as a community. So we're different ages in this place. That's one of the blessings of Sutherland Church, is that we haven't said, let's target this 10-year age range. But that, you know, I've, I've lived my life with many of you, and we bear witness to this gospel together in our communities. And that's what draws us together as a Christian community. That as James said, and thank you, that was such so flattering that you, you said it exactly like I sometimes say it. And here it is. That, the, that God, the gospel, our God, is for this world. And it's understanding that that brings us together as a community. Four and five on our list, benefits of faith and spiritual gifts. These go together. I will, through this series, tell you, and this is what people really want. It took us a while to get here, but that trusting in Jesus Christ brings particular benefits in this world. And they're strong. In fact, they're, you can't destroy them. Even death. I mean, did you, sing, did you hear those ridiculous words we were singing? No power of death, no scheme of man, right? From life's first cry to final breath. We're singing about death and saying, I'll have peace even when I face my death. Really? Really, that's one of the benefits that we're told comes with true Christian faith. There are many benefits that come. Peace and freedom and purpose and contentment and even joy and rest. With these benefits come responsibilities. So we'll talk toward the end of the series at least a couple weeks, maybe a few on spiritual gifts. The reality that God, the Holy Spirit, is manifest in your life in particular ways. And for some of us, the manifestation of that Holy Spirit comes uh, through, through particular gifts, often, not only that way. But we'll look at how you are called with your spiritual gifts. All of this, that we might trust in Jesus Christ, to hear about Jesus, and to respond to him. All right, so that's the preamble. So let's look at these two gospel passages in the few minutes that we have remaining. First, John chapter 1. Daniel last week referred to this as kind of the cryptic Christmas story, the Christmas story in code. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christmas. That's Jesus being born, the birth of Jesus Christ. And Luke chapter 4, years later, as Jesus begins his ministry, now as an adult, after the temptation in the desert, the interesting and harsh reaction to some of the words of Jesus Christ as he speaks in the synagogue. These two scenes reveal the nature of displacement in our lives and in this world, or at least part of the nature. Displacement for you can be felt in a number of ways. I'll remind you of some of them. It can be felt historically. I referred to that earlier. So some of you felt more at home 30 years ago than you do now. You can feel displacement historically. You can feel displacement geographically. You find yourself in a place 
that you don't want to be. You can feel displacement economically, like other people around you can go and buy dinners and lunches and whatever else and seem to be able to do fine in this part of the world and you feel like you never have any of that power. You can certainly feel displacement spiritually, where you don't consistently, not that any of us will feel this always, but you don't even consistently feel peace or security. You can feel displaced relationally, that you're out of place, that other people seem to have relationships that give them a place and meaning, and yours aren't like that, or there's some missing. I want you to notice displacement in this first gospel reading, John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is a pretty bold statement right there. And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. See the displacement right there? There's a disconnect. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Now, his own people can be understood historically there as the Jewish people, as Jesus was Jewish. But it's also more than that. It's his people, all people. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. There was a rejection. The displacement has two, na- two sides in this understanding. We keep choosing, and I know you do this because we talk. We keep choosing that which, di- that which does not alleviate our sense of displacement. It doesn't fix it. We go for wins. We, here's, a, here's a giveaway on it. You feel so much better, and we all do this, by the way, but you feel so much better when you get more. And even a lot better when you get more than somebody else. That's a reminder that it's a temporary fix to displacement, not real peace. You keep choosing things that don't last, and it's bound to fail. The passage here, here, listen to the key. All things were made through him. In other words, if you want to feel true sense of place and purpose, you're not going to get it just by chasing more. It'll be found in him. In him was what? In him was life. But you're looking for your life elsewhere, even in church. And that life was the light of humanity, the one in whom we can know life and peace and not feel displaced. In John chapter 1, right at the beginning of the gospel, he is rejected. There is this dynamic in the Christian faith that we could seek to understand. Here is what we do in whether we're Christian or not. We feel restlessness and this sense of not being placed, we tend to go to areas like to find worth in value and value in success, so work or family or any of the roles of our lives. And if we can line up those roles and say, I'm doing okay as a father, as a husband, as, a, as an employee, as a minister, for you, you have different titles for those roles, then you can say, okay, I guess I feel a general sense of well-being. But there's times when all of a sudden, I could be walking down the street and my eyes can just open like this and I can think, I'm a terrible failure. I'd line up everything in my life and go, nope, it's, it's, I've wrecked everything. And that's the problem, is that you might be able to feel okay about those roles for a while, but then you go to the other side. His own received him not. We do not receive Christ, either for the first time to put our faith in him or over and over again. The hope of Jesus Christ is for this whole world. And yet we reject him. 
So let's look at the second gospel, the second scene in the Gospels, which we didn't read. You can read on your own later. Is Luke chapter 4, Jesus in the synagogue after the temptation, the beginning of his earthly ministry. In verse 16, he reads from the book of Isaiah, and he declares in this reading his identity. He takes on a messianic identity as Messiah. He declares that the year of Jubilee, the year of freedom, salvation, that they've all been waiting for, has come in him. And if, you, and if you go to the top of the text, because we're talking about Jesus being rejected, and this isn't in the scripture, but it's often in the headings. It might be in the heading in your Bible. I think it says Jesus is rejected at Nazareth, something like that. But when Jesus kind of aligns him up as, himself up as Messiah, what do the people do? It says, and they all marveled and spoke well of him. We can tend to think that that the rejection came when he claimed to be Messiah and they pushed that away. That's not what happened in this text. And yet, he's rejected. Keep reading. He talks about the healing of a Syrian man in the time of Elisha. In other words, and people would get this, this gospel, the healing for the nations, and healing is, it sometimes includes physical healing, but it's always more than physical healing. Always bigger. And so the healing that comes, including the physical healing for this man, it's even for Syrians, even for people who seem to be against us. It's at that that the people revolt. And you know why. How dare he say that this is for everybody? And he's rejected. And actually they try to kill him and he slips away. Jesus broke barriers in speaking of this gospel. Verse 28 says they were filled with wrath and they tried to stone him and he slipped away. It wasn't his time to give his life. Here is where we are in this faith as I see it. One of the, one of the descriptions. The first thing is the promise of the Christian gospel in your life. What is it that you're looking for? What kind of sense of peace do you want or need? And I would say to you, and I say this in light of the gospel, you don't need to feel displaced in this world. The gospel does promise peace and rest for your soul. How different does that sound than displacement? It does not promise that everything will go well for you, and I'll be pretty bold, don't believe the people who tell you that it does. A good test for that is the people who tell you that the gospel means everything will go well, just ask them how they're doing. And pretty quick, you'll get to some of the regular human challenges that everybody has. But you can have peace, even in the midst of sorrow. The Christian gospel, the promise of this gospel for you. But the second thing is, the question that I have, are you willing to see that this gospel is not for the maintenance of the church as we know it? It is to reach into the whole world. And if we are to reach into the whole world, we must resist the temptation to become a subculture. What I mean by that is one that is nicely cordoned off from this big, bad, dangerous world. Do you think God's not enough for that world? Do you understand that your fear, I can see your fear, when you try to move the church to subculture? People like me can see it. We can see that you're just longing for a sense of safety. And so somebody like me comes along and doesn't speak badly of the big bad world. Why? Because
because the gospel is in this place. God speaks here. I feel for you that you want to feel nice and safe. But if we want to move forward as a church, we have to break down these walls. Or we just continue to kind of be Sutherland and be nice to one another and different than some places and not as good as some and better than others. Well, it doesn't matter. These are the two things, that you would understand this gospel for your life, but that you would see this call for the whole world. So this week, take that so what sheet, and it's really simple. There's a a quick prayer there each day. And then on the back side, all the back side is, is I was showing you some of the things that I'd encountered in this past week, places where I've listened for the gospel of Jesus Christ present even in this uh, secular world in which we live. If you have never responded to the love of Jesus Christ, we always offer you that opportunity here. We always want to offer you that opportunity here to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I put my faith and my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin and help me to see the gospel for the whole world. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for the communion. And I'm also going to pray for the offering because that will be taken after the time of communion. Let's pray together. This communion is the reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for this whole world. He told us that we were to take the bread and that the bread represented his body given for the church. No, given for the world. This is the body of Jesus Christ given for you. This cup is a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the life of the world. We say you are welcome to receive if you know Jesus Christ or you would like to. Then receive the communion. And we'll pass it out. Let me pray for the communion and for the offering. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your presence with us, mindful that there are many or some, at least numbers in our midst who are facing times of uncertainty in their lives. We pray for Jenny this week with... uh, Uh, appointments coming up, some of which are delayed from this past week. Would you be with her and give the doctors a clear sense of a way forward and bring her to a new place in terms of her physical strength? We pray for Heather Beveridge, Lord. Would you bless her? Waiting for test results. So many others. We pray for the Lang family who has lost their son. I think he was in his 40s. Many of us know and remember Hubert and Bev. We pray for them as they mourn. And look to the service. We pray for Jill Charles, Chris, and the whole family, having said goodbye to Gina yesterday. We come now to this table of communion. And in receiving this, we confess our sins, that we have done things we ought not to have done and left undone things that we should have done. But as we take this communion, we declare our faith in you. Would you hear, and I'm mindful of this now, Heavenly Father, In this place, there are even people who have a desire for faith but can't quite say it's faith yet. Would you hear that prayer? And as they look to receive, would you bless them with the knowledge of your presence? So we receive this bread and this cup. We pray a blessing on the offering, living in in the light of the good news of the end of last year that you, through your people in this place, have provided. The offering we give as an act of worship for your glory. So bless this time now, we pray of response in Christ's name. Amen.